Welcome to What the Heck with Lizzie Beck. I am your host, Lizzie Beck. Today's guest is joining me all the way from Los Angeles, California. We are in separate places. He has a podcast called What's the Hook. He is also a part of an improv group called Black Street Boys. He's also part of a comedy, sketch, and film crew called The Bantu Boys. He also has another podcast called The Bantu Boys Podcast. And I'm tired. And he recently released a mixtape and album under the moniker B Strokes. Welcome to the show to my very good friend, Bileko Wisa. Thank you, Lizzie. Thank you so much for having me on your platform. I think this is absolutely outstanding. You remember you were talking about I want to do a podcast, but you actually did it. So I'm doing it. Well, yeah, thank a lot you. of people. It's, it's a lot of work. Oh, tell me about it. What? Oh, I know. Like, thank you for taking a break from all that I just read to come on my... Like, just doing this on a weekly basis is challenging. How are you doing all of this stuff? Like, what are you even doing? Let me tell you something. Like, when you have uh, people around you, you know, they always say, like, um, diversify your portfolio. Mm. And it's like, okay, I do 33% of this. I do 15% of that. I do 20% in this group or whatever. That's what it is. But it's, it's still tough because it's just like, as an artist, you just want to be creative. But this new yeah. generation of artists are, we're editors, we're promoters, we're marketers. You know say? Like, even when I looked at your with the hook, I was like, okay, she came up with the logo. She took the picture in the front. Now she's coming up with topics. She's to figure out guests, the time she releases it. Is it entertainment? Is it, is it comedy? I know. Yeah. All right. It's so like, much. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew a podcast was so much work? Um, be like, oh, I want you to tell my listeners how do we know each other how did you and i meet unfortunately um that's <laughs> <laughs> how everyone starts what, this conversation on on the floor what like what the heck? we were in comedy theater we took a comedy class i think it was was it 101 no it was two uh it was 201 at west side comedy theater yeah 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 so we took a class at West Side. We met in the, there's three levels. We met at the second level. And I don't know, I guess we just hit it up. I don't know, probably because I knew you played basketball because you're six foot three. <laughs> I'm six two. I'm six two. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, I wish I had those problems. And um, right. only five, eleven ish, right? And, so um, five nine. I don't know, we probably. just hit it up. Like, uh, okay. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> all right. I've been lying to some. I've been lying to some girl on DMs that I'm five eleven. So that does not surprise I, me. I don't know. We just. I, I can't even remember the first conversation. Like I think everybody in the class, the majority of the people, were very like supportive. And then we took from two hundred one. We took um, three hundred one. And I don't know. We. Um, I interned at Westside before you, so I remember you would come like you know because you get the free um, come see free shows. So I would I was interning on Friday, so you would come on Friday. I think after work or whatever. And I don't know, like for me, I'm a I'm a giving comic, so I'd be like, hey, you should look at this, you know, go to this open mic. And I don't know, we just developed a friendship. We would text, and here we are. What, gosh, has it been? No, it's been like maybe like nine months, right? Because we took the class like in October, September, almost. I think, last no, year. almost a year. It was like the beginning of last year. 
Oh, right, right, right. So we'll get a gen. You know, yeah. this quarantine has me effed up. Like, I'm going to sleep. Is, so. Look, I'm going to sleep and I'm hot under the blanket. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's freaking June. Oh, my <laughs> God. It's so hot. It's so right? hot. It's June. But you forget. You're just like, I'm in quarantine. No, that you have this great show at Unurban Cafe. You started one. I think you had like four shows, right? Oh, yeah. Unurban Coffee House. We did... It's like four, four right? or five shows. Yeah, I don't remember how many uh, until all of this happened and that was yeah, shut yeah. down. I think just over time, just developed, developed a friendship. And, you know, I mean, it was like a comedic friendship, but now it's like a friendship, I, I assume. And No, yeah. just comedy. I, I try not to. The comedy, nothing else. <laughs> I don't give a hell. No, uh, you're one of the few people that I have checked in on during the pandemic, you know, just to see I know, how yeah, you're doing, yeah, you know, see yeah. if you're alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now we're here and like we're I'm watching you like grow as an artist and this is like great. So be like I, I wanted to bring you on and kind of talk to you a little bit about what's happening in the world yeah. right now. And you you kind of speaking from your perspective as a black man and yeah. your view on things. I mean, first of all, I'm sure you're probably tired of hearing this, but like how are you doing? <laughs> <with> <laughs> <laughs> this is why I love like comedy. Let me tell you, comedy is so great because like it's kind of, we can laugh at anything. Anything. And, like, like if you were to say that to like a normal person, they'd be like, "What the hell?" I'm like, "No, I am tired of it." I was just telling my <laughs> this morning. I was like, "Man, I'm so fucking tired of this." Like I'm like doing like this. I'm doing these PSAs on like history or whatever. Oh like, man, this just never happens. Just so I can do these PSAs, but everything happens for a reason. To answer your question, I'm doing. I mean, I've, I'm doing well, like, it sucks to say this, but I've been fortunate, like, in, like, I'm, I'm from Congo. My family in Congo was, like, in government. So they were, like, educated, like, they were Pan-Africanists. They knew, like, history. They knew economics, all this stuff. So, like, my first movie was, like, Roots. Like, mm. you know what I'm saying? Like, at five years old, I saw it's like, you're going to learn Black history. You're going to learn, like, more, like, history, world history. Yeah. And sometimes that's, like, a weird, a different dynamic than in America, right? Like, in America, you're not, you're only taught about vaguely about where you live, where like my parents were, they know about Russia. They know like the Berlin wall, like they mm. knew what happened like in South, uh, South America. So this is like taught to me. So when this happened, I was just like, well, well, what's happening right now with George Floyd? I'm like, well, this is just United States of America not dealing with its problem from the base from 16, whatever, not even 1600s or whatever with slavery and, Black people being looked at as three-fifths of person in slavery. You never address the main issue. So now you have a culmination of all these problems over this time. And the perfect hurricane, like all these dynamics, like pandemic, unemployment of 42 million, the invention of a cell phone. So we have a computer in our pocket. Everybody's sharing social media. Like, you know, it's amazing. Like, like I'm from Congo, I have family in France, I have family in Belgium, I have family in London, Ireland, Canada, Kinshasa, of course, South Africa, Angola. So I can see how everybody's living just by scrolling up. Yeah. Right? So with all of this happening, the whole world is looking at us. It's not, mm. you know, before for like, you know, for 300 years, you can hide a bunch of stuff. It wasn't until the last like 10 years where it's like, hey, man, this person in, in Congo is like, hey, man, what's, what's a blood? What's a crib? Well, what's happening here? Who's getting like, what, what's this? What's that? You know, I, I don't know. I feel, I feel bad, but I'm just like, what do you expect if you don't address, if you haven't addressed the issue full on hand, you've been avoiding it, and mm. the culmination of all this stuff occurred? It was ba- not that it was bound to happen. Like, I'm not saying, oh, killing and rioting, and, and, and pro- but protesting was bound to happen. 
Yeah. You know? Now, were you, were you born in Congo or were you actually born in Los Angeles? No, I was born in Los Angeles, born and raised okay. in Los Angeles. I went back to Congo to bury my dad when I was five, but mm. I still speak and write like um, Lingala and read. One of the one of the languages, a little bit of Kikongo, but like mostly like it's all all, all Lingala, Lingala. But that's why I don't have the accent. I sound like you. Okay, well, <laughs> nobody sounds like me. <laughs> um, where? Okay, so let me ask you this: Growing up in LA, first of all, where in LA did you grow up? So I grew up everywhere. So all over the place, right? What the heck? I stayed in the, what they would call like the jungles on Crenshaw and King. But then we moved to Fairfax. But then when the riots hit, the 92 riots hit, I'm, I'm dating myself, we moved to the valley. Because the mm. riots were just, I remember driving on, on Crenshaw, and I don't know what blood gang, because they all wore red, just like we're just rioting, grabbing people out the, like white people out the car, beating them up, all this frustration. I was like, we got to go to the valley. So we moved to the valley. I spent, I lived in the valley from like age seven to about 19, went away so to you college. Were- and you were about, you're saying you were about seven then when the 92 riots happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember a lot of that? Like, what, what do you remember about that? And, like, what did that mean to you? Did it have any meaning as a 70-year-old kid? Yes, because, so we were one of the first people, Congolese people, directly to come to LA. So there, was that, there wasn't that much of a big community, right? I would have older cousins that would be, like, 17, 18, that... In 92, this is like the height of gangbanging. So when you're on like them living in LA, they'd be like, this gang, this, that, or whatever is going to go to this building tonight and they're going to go fuck up this building or they're going to harass this person or this, that. So I remember driving and just seeing like, there was a certain point where non-black people would never go through a black neighborhood, especially during the riots. Like, what? What? I was on Crenshaw in Venice. I'll never forget it because there used to be a Pioneer's Chicken. This, this chicken is incredible, Lizzie. You've got to try this chicken. Do they still have it? I don't know. I think they do, but like Pioneer Chicken is incredible. Oh, put it on but, my list. <laughs> on the list. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this white guy was just in his car. Guys were frustrated because the riots. They pulled him out of his car and just started beating him up. Right? Mm. And I remember being like six, seeing this, six or seven, like, seeing, like, yo, this is crazy. So I didn't know the historical implications of it mm-hmm. because now when you backtrack and do the research, Rodney King, like, this happened in Lakeview Terrence. This is like in the valley. But all these years of like the 60s Watts riots and like crack cocaine and, and then jobs being exported. What can I say? Like, remember the, the factory jobs they used to be in like South LA. So people in the 60s and 70s, they used to be gang members. They could, all right, well, I'm a gang member, but I'll, I got her pregnant. I can go get a job at the factory making 50,000. I could potentially buy a house. I mature. It forced me to mature, mm. right? Because I can provide for like my family. But all of this is now outsourced. So you have gang members that are just like, now they're like, mid-20s, 30s. Yeah. Like, oh, you're still gangbanging? And then you're so, you're, you're frustrated. Like, the same thing is happening now, but in a different form. It's student day. Yeah. Because we don't have many gang, gang members are like OGs now. They're like, they're, it's, it's like, it's different. Even though, even though the young ones that are gang members, it's not like the same how it used to be. I know I'm going on a tangent, but like. No, it's okay. I just remember, I didn't know the historical significance then. I just remember like we had to leave because it's just dangerous. Yeah. What was your, uh, what was your experience with gangs as a kid? Were they around in your neighborhood or when you moved to the Valley? Like, what's your experience with that? In LA, when we lived on Crenshaw and King, they were. There was like, it's amazing because you can hit one corner, there's a different gang and another gang. But in the Valley, where we lived, there was small, there was a small, small gangs, but it was more so the schools, right? 
So when you go to high school and middle school, especially middle school, that's the breeding ground of any gang member's future. It was always in the high school. So when I went to, I went to the school, Birmingham High School, they were blue and yellow. That's the colors. So there's a gang adopted, like, they were Crips. So they, the gangs there would adopt the blue, so they'd be Crips. I remember I couldn't wear, I like tennis shoes, I couldn't wear red Jordans mm. because, you know, they're red. So I remember I bought a pair of Jordans and I went to Inglewood Shoe Store. I forgot what it's called. And I got the red painted gray just so I can wear the shoes because I didn't want to get like banged on or anything like that oh, or whatever, right? But I'm very fortunate because I guess, I don't know, I have this energy, like people thought, knew I was cool and I wasn't like mean hearted or spirited. And plus I played, played sports. I was, all my friends, we all played sports. So we never got like banged on because I guess the gang members doing like, oh man, they just play ball. Don't even like, yeah. don't worry about them or whatever. But I think about people that I was friends with that were like, that liked to fight and went into gangbang and stuff like that. It would be, it was rough. It was just, it was very rough. Like you can't, you can go to this school or I remember my senior year of basketball, like we had a senior high school. We almost got into a fight with this gang because they tried to punk one of our teammates. We're a team. What do we got to do? We got to mm. fight or whatever. But these guys were like hardcore gang members. They tried to like, right. They try to come to like our school and try to fight us like like a week later. We're like, what's wrong with these dudes or whatever, right? Yeah. But I didn't really have that. I was always adjacent to it. So I didn't have that. Like my sister dated a gang member. Like I, I was always like, oh, okay. Like I'm not going to be that because in my head, I thought they were like, I don't want to say not losers because I disrespect, but I was like, oh, this is not the way to go. I just always mm. knew I, I had no had no interest for it. Yeah. Never popularity or nothing like that. Because you could just see like one person would be shot, one person selling dope, this person smells, this person you could tell doesn't have any confidence. Even when you would talk to them, even at being nine, ten years old, I was like, this person doesn't have any sense. It's not what I'm trying to do. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? Now, uh, my my mom and my older sister were so hands on after my father died. I didn't know. I, I had I was more I, I cared more about my mom. I was more fearful of her than a gang member. Yeah. Now, in terms to Bileko of like your education, I know you spoke a lot about your family from Congo and learning a lot of black history through them. What do you remember about your experience in school and what was taught to you in school? It's it's amazing because my older sister went to Cal State University in Northridge. So I would be in the seventh grade and I would go to like these black poetry events and black history events like that seventh grade so during this culmination where like this resting ground of middle school of like of gang members and kids would be like i'm gonna make this choice or i'm gonna be an athlete or be a gang member i was like well i'm going to go read i'm going to the <laughs> event where they're gonna read on langston hughes you know what i'm saying or they're yeah. gonna do this movie on lumumba so my so at, tw- at 13 or 12 i was like the world is bigger than like our boulevard i'm very mm. fortunate right yeah. very very fortunate all right um when i went to college this is already, I went to HBCU, so I went to Norfolk State. When I was in Norfolk State in Virginia, all right, ever, I walked in, like, already kind of had, like, this pride in myself or confidence in myself. But when I came back to, I got kicked out because the out-of-state fees were too much, the tuition. Mm. Um, great experience at the school. I was like, all right, I'm going to go back to California. I went to, I wanted to go to Dominguez because I had a cousin that went to Dominguez. This is the first time I felt sort of, like, systematic racism or racism. Now, now, this is probably, like, 20, 21 years old. I had all these science classes, parasitology, zoology, botany, general chemistry, all this stuff. I go to meet with the head of the Department of Biology at Dominguez. They're like, what are you trying to do? I was like, oh, I'm trying to become a doctor. At the time, I wanted to become a doctor. All right, I was like, well, these classes don't transfer over. I was like, I didn't take these classes in Congo. I took them at, in Virginia, Yeah. right? And I can just tell the intimidation factor where I can feel like 
he didn't think like he was like oh you got all these a's and b's i was like yeah you had like i was like even to get a b in science is like not good enough but i was like it's pretty good you know what i mean Mm-hmm. And you could just tell the see the resistance because I came from a university where they were just like, oh my goodness, what can I do to help you? You're mm. a person. When I was at Norfolk where you're in an environment where people are just like, how can I help you? To yeah. when you go, when I go to Dominguez where they're just like, what can I do not to help you? Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's not my job to help you. I was like, oh, after school, I was like, I'm going to go to Cal State University of Northridge where my sister went. I go there because of the lack of confidence I felt there or with Dominguez, I changed my major because I was like, I'm not going to go through this. I had like 60 units. I'm not going to start from the bottom. You know, when you're, you're like, you're yeah. young, you're like, oh, this, I did all this work. Which right. Really not <laughs> like, I'm not starting so over. Like, right, right. I changed my major to African-American studies, but I minored in biology because I was like, I had all those units because I did like black history and I wanted to be in it. I didn't realize it then, but when I made that choice, because I, I like the environment of just like people welcoming you. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Everybody's college experience is different, right? Yeah. So dealing, I was like, I don't want to deal with that ever again. I no, I don't want to deal sure, with it. Sure. So right. I finished that CSUN. CSUN was great. You know, the professors and, you know, they loved me. And, you know, they're like, oh, you have all this good perspective. And all this stuff. I was like, this is great. I graduate, I do comedy, right? So my senior year of undergrad, I do comedy for like five years. Comedy was great. Loved it. But I wasn't, every time I think I was reaching a plateau, something would happen. And I was just like, you know, and my family would be like, you know, and this is where being a foreigner, it, it played a, a part. Because when you're a foreigner, you're always taught just go be a doctor, an engineer, a lawyer, or an accountant. Mm. And I always wonder, like, why do they always want you to be a doctor? Like, because back home, there's no, the healthcare system's trash and people are dying young. Yeah. Right. So if you become a doctor, you could potentially with this great education here, you can go back home and go save 100 people, increase the life expectancy, stuff like that. Where yeah. here it's like to be a doctor is status. But mm-hmm. back back there, it's like, no, no, you could save people's lives. Yeah. You, say, you yeah. could help people. Right? It actually right. make a difference. So right, 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 right. Not 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 the checks. Right. We're so, all about the money here in America. Give me the money. Yo, let me tell you something. This pandemic has showed me that, like, I don't care about wealth. You know how, like, I, I want to be famous to build wealth. I was just like, everybody I talk to around the world, relatives, they're just like, man, I'm happy. My housing is taken care of. Yeah. Healthcare is taken care of. My family's fine. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Let's just get through the pandemic where all of us were like, oh, man, how am I going to grind? How am I going to get at this money? <laughs> we're, not right, right. we're not even worried about the human condition. Yeah. Like, how do we help homelessness? How do we allow people to like have affordable housing where they don't stress out if they mm-hmm. miss a day of work? There's that no such thing as affordable housing right. in Los Angeles. Nothing about living here is affordable. <laughs> nothing. No, nothing, nothing. Yeah, so after this five years, I went to grad school. I got, so I got, I did this like a intense program. Where I got two masters. So I took the two years off of comedy. I took two years off, two and a half years off. And um, it was like, it was the greatest breather I needed. So I went to Charles Drew University in South LA. And that's a, that's a black college. So that's that whole theme of like, I want to be in, the, in, in a good environment. When I mm-hmm. went to go apply, I remember the orientation. It just felt like when I was in Virginia or when I was in CSUN's African-American Studies Department where the welcomingness and people were just like, oh, what, what can we do to help you? So I was like, okay, I like this. But as a creative, you are creative. Like, you can't, it's in you. Like, I, I, that's not my personal belief. So while I was there at, uh, at Charles Drew, doing these double masters and 
biomedical, um, um, what you call medical biochemistry. I was writing jokes. I was like, some of the music I've created, I was like, oh, I wrote this lyric when I was in <laughs> medical genetics. You know what I'm saying? That's so great. <laughs> right, you know what I mean? And it was great because I got to, you got to get clarity. You got to get a different perspective. You got to take a time out. And you got to learn all this information that dealt with like what the culmination of the history of the country, how people are placed and what that does to their body, whether it does to their genes, disease rates, people that are at high risk, people that die of HIV, HPV, stuff like that. And it's funny how it plays a part in what's like happening with now. Um, so then I was like, okay, I feel confident I'm gonna get back into comedy. So I've been doing comedy the past three and a half, four years. So do you do anything with those master's degrees right now? Well, work, day job, but we're furloughed because, you know, the pandemic. But what is is your day job? um, Research assistant. So I actually work at Drew and we try to get kids into like STEM, into Hmm. science, technology, engineering and math. And the great thing about it is in those areas, you see these kids that are like so bright eyed and so smart, 14, 15 years old. And they're like, I'm going to be an anesthesiologist. I'm like, oh, shit. I didn't know what that was until like maybe mid-20s, you're like 15 and you know, this is great. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, just helping them like gain their confidence. They do like research. They um, try to write their personal statements, how to get into college. Like some of the students I've had, like I still like keep in touch with them for two or three years. Like, hey, how are you doing at Riverside? How's your sophomore year? How's your junior and stuff like that? So we just try to help them with that. But then also I try to get the word out on like, um, people think because magic is like walking around alive, HIV doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? They just think, oh, well, he gained weight. He's fine. It's like, no, he's still on heart therapy. He still has to take um, combination medication. Well, I think, I think that's a very American thing. I think that's like this pandemic. I think we've all decided, well, you know, I don't think coronavirus <laughs> is a thing anymore. So we're all just like, we're going to go do what we want. And right, right, I think right. But we're going <laughs> to see wait, what happens. Wait. Well, you know what's crazy, Lizzie? What's actually happened and it's been magnified is the lack of respect for scientists, specialists, mm. and teachers. Because in other parts of the world, like going back to my mom saying, go become a doctor. It's the level of respect, like, wow, this person can help us, right? Yeah. Now you have these, and I'm not political, I'm not a political scientist. We have these research scientists with PhDs and years of experience that have written these great articles, done these great work on disease that are telling our president, whatever, from Obama, Bush, to now President Trump, hey, you need to do this and follow this. And it's like, no, because we don't respect specialists. They're like, because you know why? We respect people that have ratings and views and followers. So, yeah, isn't that incredible? Like, that's it's awful. It's awful. And what sucks is, is when you're talking to people around the world and they're laughing at us, that's some of the conversations I'm having where they're mm-hmm. like, why are you guys like, I know they understand the protest, right? But even before that, when people were at the beach and they weren't wearing masks, they're like, why aren't you guys wearing a mask? Aren't your doctors telling you guys? Because no, People because we're Americans and we do what we want. And we that's, do what, the that's hell we, what it is. Yeah. We do, what we, we do what we want. And it's like the fact that we don't show that type of like respect for somebody that we don't trust people that are educated because we don't trust our education system. It's, all, mm. it's, a, it's a lot of things. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, we, 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 don't, we don't trust it. It sucks because in other parts of the world, a teacher is so respected and their citizens are so respected, especially when you're, you have good law-abiding citizens around the world, they're respected yeah. because they're like, you know, in, in Japan, a woman has a child, she gets a letter, her and her husband get a letter, like, thanks, here's like, whatever. In, um, what was it? Where's uh, Gaddafi from? It's not Syria, but 
if a couple can get like low interest on a house if they were trying to buy a house. Like here in America, we don't we don't do that type of stuff for like our citizens. Yeah. You know what I mean? We don't show like, thank you for being a, a law abiding citizen. It's like, it sucks to be a law abiding citizen because it's like, I'm getting dick. Yeah. Yeah. My mom is a teacher and she had seven kids. The government hasn't thanked her for anything. I feel that she you deserves know, a medal. You know what's crazy? Do you know that rapper Killer Mike? Uh, I've heard of him. Right. So Killer Mike was like, he's from Atlanta and he said, I think police officers, teachers, and I think was it, is it doctors? They should get like no interest on like a house loan because they're they're doing civil. It's a civil. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like there has to be. You have to ease off some type of. There has to be something because they're being paid nothing. They're being paid nothing, and they are willingly doing this job that like nobody else wants to do. And what sucks for teachers too? You don't (laughs) know how many teachers I know that were buying everything off of work, off of their own pocket. Oh my gosh, my mom. My mom did that. And we were poor. She couldn't even buy things for us. And she's like buying things for her school. Right, for the kids. Right. And and that sucks that in other countries, how teachers are like celebrated. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like we we have it all backwards. Yeah. Well, welcome to America, everybody. What the heck? (laughs) What the heck? I feel like I want to ask you. So you've been in comedy now, you said three and a half to four years. Talk to me a little bit about what your experience has been in this space, in the comedy space. Do you feel that it's different in any way? Like as a black comedian, especially, what is your experience? I've had a good experience, actually a great experience, because I think I have, knock on wood, I think I have good perspective. I just don't hang out like with the, I try to do comedy everywhere because you know, you want to test your material. That's how you get better in different environments. Mm. Is that, but even my the conversations or engagement I've had with other people, like I've never felt like, oh man, it sucks to be black. I'm not that type of person. I don't feel sorry for myself. I always look at like, how can I figure out and be solutions oriented? You know, we're very mm-hmm. fortunate as comics in this era. You know, you can really create your own career by yourself. We have a phone, you have a camera, you have all these different platforms, right? So my experience has been, I don't know, I've had a good experience. Like I don't, I've never said, oh, shucks. I'm uh, I'm not getting this opportunity. I always think like, okay, how? What do I have to do to create this opportunity? Mm. I don't know. And I think, and and I'm a lot. I'm surrounded by a lot of comics that are like that, where it's like, yeah. no, what? Like, look, I'm on your platform. You know, this ain't serious radio. Or what the heck? You know what I mean? What? So how dare you? This is a very <laughs> top-notch <laughs> <How> podcast. <laughs> we have at least a million followers. Okay. Right. 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 <laughs> But you know, it's like I'm I'm surrounded by people that are doing things on their own. So yeah. it's not like I, I I don't know, I don't I don't like to give people that don't respect me power. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So I don't worry about them. I worry yeah. about what I can do. That's great. Because you know I, mean? I just think, you know, Lizzie, like my parents had to deal with colonization. My parents' friends had to deal with racism. I just just shut the hell up and man up. You know they put <laughs> like you know, like, you okay, look, we like basketball, right? Did you see The Last Dance? Yeah. I haven't finished it, though. I need to finish it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yo. Okay. So, like, what episode are you on? Because it was, what? It was uh, I think I watched, so- I think I watched through six, maybe? Six or eight. Okay. But isn't Jordan just, it's not even Jordan, but the guys of that era, I respect them more than the guys of this era. They just, like, they just, Jordan was like, I'm just going to figure out how to win. 
and I'm not pointing fingers, but it's like when you have this air, and it's fine because that player empowerment. When something bad happens, you leave and you go, and, and it's just like this guy was like, I'm gonna figure it out, and he dealt with worse problems. A guy at the top that didn't listen to his point of view. Yeah. So when I see that, that in, that it inspires me to be like, I just gotta figure it out. Yeah. Just figure it out. So yeah. I don't know. That's how I am. That's, I mean, I think that's a really good outlook to have. And it's good that you have like the support system that you do to encourage you to do that. And I think you've surrounded yourself with some really great people within the comedy world and just your own world in general, which yeah. is great. One thing I am curious about, because I've talked to some other friends about this as well. And I was, <laughs> I've been doing some weird research in the past few weeks, but okay. So the U.S. population, 70, about roughly, this is like a rough percentage, is yes. 75% white. Yes. And it is roughly 13% black. So those numbers, basically there are like six times as many white people right. than there are black people in the United yes. States. Which, when I think about that, I'm like, wow, like that is, like that's a big difference, right? Right. Uh-huh. And so one thing I've kind of talked about, I know, with some other friends of mine is, especially in the comedy space, what's your experience when you walk into comedy clubs or open mics and they are predominantly white? As a Black comedian, do you, do you sense that walking in the door? Are you kind of like, you know, like what, like what goes through your mind? Or are you just like, eh, it's just another place, more people? I think in the comedy space, so I notice it in different factors. When I walk into a store, that's when I notice that a majority is not 75%. Mm. As a comedian, when you walk into a comedy club, and let's say there's a majority of white people, it doesn't matter who. If I just see people, I'm like, oh, there's people we get to tell jokes yeah. to. You know, <laughs> that's for us as a comic. It's like, oh, great. I get to work on right. material a better totally. game with my jokes, <laughs> right? Yep. So, and that's, I didn't realize it until you brought it up. Like, as a comedian, I never look at, like, oh, there's a bunch of white people or there's a bunch of black people. I'm just like, oh, there's people. Yeah. Right? <laughs> this is great. I only notice it on my, in my everyday life. So when I go to the store, let's say if I go to, I don't know, whatever, Best Buy or Clothing Store or, like, Marshall or something like that, that's when I notice, oh, people are, are they notice that I am black. And, but then once I, pro- I, like, I process it, I'm just like, whatever, fuck them. Yeah. Like, and not, like, fuck them like they're, like, bad people. Just, I'm, I'm black. I have the money. I'm going to go buy this. I'm not. I'm not a thief or whatever. Yeah. And then I go about it. But yeah, it, it, that that's the only time I realize it when I'm walking into like uh, into stores. Yeah, that's the only time. Never comedy. Do you feel that people look at you, or do you just notice the fact that you're the only oh, no, non-white you, person? No, you can feel. You can feel it. You can feel it. It's just it's just a sixth sense. Mm. The energy changes. The conversation changes. Yeah. You, people are looking at you. You can even tell, like, even your interactions with people. Like, so if I go to the grocery store and I want to ask where the cereal is or whatever, even the clerk, let's say the clerk is a white person, you can just tell, like, even their their temperament changes. It's so mm. like, hey, excuse me. I um I want to know what aisle's the. I'm looking for this cereal. Oh, oh yeah, it's it's right over here. And yeah. they still there's still this like not all the time, but you can tell like oh he could speak. He has reason. Mm. He, he's polite. Yeah. You can ask a question. Lizzie, it sucks. We're so used to it. It's just like Monday. Yeah. But it's not. But and here's the thing. If you're taught this since the country was created or this, you know what I mean? That like, I'm three-fifths of a person. The mm. Negroid is the lowest man. You know what I'm saying? On the Darwin scale or whatever. I'm closer to an ape. Like, pain is transferable. That's just like, that's medical biochemistry. You can, trauma can be transferred. 
right? Yeah. So why, so, so can an ideology, right? Mm. So when, I don't know, when- What do you, what do you mean, what do you mean by that? Can you talk a little bit more on that? Because I think you shared that in the forum that I watched, yeah. but I just want my listeners to know uh, what you're referring to. It's been proven that trauma can be passed through through generations. So like a man, I'm only responsible for one generation, but a woman is responsible for two because even though her eggs aren't developed, the egg, she still has the eggs in her. They're not, her reproductive system isn't developed, but still responsible. That's why you always hear um, people would always say for generations when a respected woman treat a woman right, especially when she's pregnant. Because mm-hmm. you, can, you, can, you can, I can, me being rude to my pregnant wife or girlfriend, that can, in, that can adjust her chemical balance, cortisol level. Oh, that's so interesting. Level, all this other stuff. So it is proven that pain is trans, is, and trauma is transferable. So think about. So if I smack you right now, will your kids feel it <laughs> someday? <laughs> we are trying to have a responsible conversation. No. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That was great. That was great. No, uh. Well, if you keep, no, he's just thinking, if you keep doing it and every time I see you, I clench my fist and then picture, I, you know, I tell my kids, I'm like, hey, if you see a six foot two white woman, you know. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. <laughs> that shoots a terrible jump shot left-handed. Oh, how you dare know? you, <laughs> sir. <laughs> my jumper. Have you ever seen it? You have not. I saw the picture. It's funny because I saw this still. I was like, oh, she's left-handed? Okay. Yeah, that shot, that shot was over a 6-5 post player, and it was to send us into the championship of our conference tournament. Thank you very much. How are these? Why can't she just be 6-3 and I take those three inches from her? Okay. <laughs> anyway, please proceed with the transferring yeah. of pain to other generations. Yeah, so if you do that over a 400-year, 500-year um, span, picture the trauma that people feel now when – they go into a store. I'm foreign. So mm-hmm. like my blood's not here, but I see when I'm with my friends that are black American, when we go into a store or they're like, Oh man, we got to worry about this. We got to worry about that or whatever. Yeah. All right. My tension is, is not as, as tight as it is as like my American friends I grew up with. And I used to see growing up when I, when I, when they would, it would take so much for me to get angry. Cause I'm like, oh, I'm not from here. Like this is not my family's not from here, wherever. We have a foreign different aspect. But my American friends, whenever they got angry and they had to deal with like stuff, you could just see them like, yo, you guys are like, calm down, calm down. But you can't. The, the what do you say? Not a holding. Uh, they've been holding a lot of tension in for generations. Oh, that's and so I, interesting. Do you, I would really like to read more on that. I have to, I have these notes from like grad school. I can send it to you after. I yeah. just like, there's this article that talks about this. This is like some public health. So it dealt with like even environmental racism. There's a yeah. lot of other factors and like redlining and, you know, right. you see where black people live in the country. Like, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. I'm going to bring something up that I was thinking of, which is completely different. I just <laughs> want to say that. But I think about the fact, like you said, when I'm walking around as a 6'2 white woman, people look at me all the time. But I'm totally immune to it now. Like I'll be with friends of mine and like, especially in the beginning when friends are with me, they're like, like people are always looking at you. I was like, I don't, I don't notice at all anymore. And so it's like, it's interesting that you say that in terms of what you have to deal with as a black man, you're just like, you're used to it now. And it just is what it is. But in your case, like, it's just not okay. You know, like it's this... you know, we get, we get, it's unfortunate. You get used to it because the whole, you have to, I have to continue with my life. I have to, I have to yeah. go to school. I have to go buy gas. I have to go to the grocery store. I have to still, even with all that, I still have to do like human stuff. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's when, 
when people are looking at you and people assume the negative in you. That's mm. the worst. Yeah. Because you could stare at me and be like, hey, man, I thought that the guy looked taller across the street. He's just short. That's fine. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But when you start to attack, like, my character and my well-being, like, yeah. you assume I'm a criminal. You assume I have disease. You, you assume that I'm, I'm poor. You assume I'm stupid just because of my skin color. That, that's, not, that's, that's a terrible feeling. Yeah. You know? You know it's, it's, it's terrible. Do you think it's different around... I mean, it has to be a little bit, but I'm sure you still sense it. If if you're around people who probably experience more Black people in their everyday lives as opposed to going to the middle of nowhere and they've probably never seen a Black person, do you mm-hmm. notice any difference between that or does it feel similar? Yeah. Remember that post I did today of like the zoo? That's what, it's, that's what happens. So when I'm around people, like, I've had, my cousin used to date this girl that lived in Santa Clarita or whatever, mm-hmm. but she was half black. And so she had a lot of friends that have never been around, like, black, black people. Like, and I say black, black people, I mean, like, full black people. They're, like, darker of skin. And you can, you can identify, like, no, that's a black person. Her family, they were kind of, like, ethnically ambiguous. So at times they look black, but not too much. So what happens is their friends, they start to study you. They start to, like, look at you like, wow, look how the way he walks. Look at the way he talks. Mm. So it's similar to like that zoo where it's just like, oh my gosh, look, give him the candy. Like you said, like yeah. I don't want to be in this environment where- you just become like something on display. Yeah, where just like, I just want to exist. I'm, I'm just existing like you. I'm just a person. You know I mean? Yeah. Just, and then <laughs> just it, another person. And, and then here's what happens. You'll do stuff that will be, that's normal human stuff where they'll be like, oh, thank you very much. Wow, he's so polite. Wait, what? Mm. Mm. What? What? I'm gonna just go over the table. Nom 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 nom. Like, wait, you know, thank you for giving me this plate. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So they make it like pretty obvious that they had certain assumptions about you, and then when you behave differently from those assumptions, they're like, oh wow, oh wow, what a polite human being. Right. And I'm just thinking, I'm like, everybody, like, I'm like, my whole family's like this. What are you talking? What's just happening? You know what I mean? But you have those preconceived, you know, the propaganda. Like you brought this stat, 76%, uh, 75% white people, 13% black population. But then there's the, that other aspect where it's like, oh, well, there's 60% of the jail. Um, there's been a 500 increase in jail population in the past 30 years. You know what I'm saying? Of African-Americans, all they do is smoke weed in their videos. They, all they care about is money. They curse. They shoot at each other. You know what I mean? So then when you meet me where it's like, hey, this dude, he doesn't. He might wear a necklace, but he doesn't. He doesn't have any tattoos, and there's mm. nothing wrong. You, you wear tattoos, whatever. It doesn't make you a criminal, but you deal with that. And it's like I'd rather be around people that kind of have a gauge where they've been around. I've been around black people. I I, I know <laughs> this, we're not. They're not monolithic. We don't think as one. And where do you think you personally? Where do you think this mindset comes from? Like, why do you think people have this view? Gosh, okay. Well, we let's see if we have the time. It started <laughs> no, because like I, this is stuff like my family would have me read books on. So this is like mm. this comes from like Darwinism, trying to make uh, Europe and feel more important and dominant to get back to ancient Greece, ancient Rome. So with Darwinism, they would do all these studies on like the human brain, who's the superior race, the genetic, you know, and then you have epigenetics, and then. You have, what's this guy's name, Carl Lennius, where they would do studies on different groups of men and be like, we had to figure out how the white man is superior to every other man on earth. 
Mm. You know, and then you had like the, um, when they started with the exploration of like colonization and the new world, this whole idea of like the manifest destiny, it is my right to go conquer, it's my right to, you said trauma is transferable, but so is ideology. So if people are being told this for hundreds of years, they're gonna believe it. You can believe the lie. What George Costanza said on Seinfeld, it's not a lie unless you believe it is. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if, you believe it, if you believe it over hundreds of years, it's going to happen. There's people that are just like, black people are dumb and they stay have their, or the, the, you know, even religious purposes, the curse of ham, you know, black people, the curse of ham. But if there's a curse of ham, that means that black people are closer to Moses because Moses, mm. uh, ham is descended of Moses. Well, no, 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 that can't be it. You know what I'm saying? So there's all these like contradictions where yeah. you have hundreds of years of this ideology where it's like, no, I have the right. I'm better than you. You're not a person. Because you eat monkeys, you eat animals. Mm. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a lot, Lizzie. Like, look, well, think about this. They would say, tell us Africans, like, we're animals. Black people, we're animals. We eat each other. We don't uh, have no civilization. But then these governments, when they're created, they would steal everything from Kemet. Yeah. The way Washington, D.C. is created is the way Kemet was created. Right? Then you would take black people, bring them here from Africa, but then you would steal the natural resources, like right, like PlayStation Five is about to come out, right? Mm-hmm. There's no PlayStation Five unless you had you get Colton from Congo. Mm. <laughs> you can't, like you can't, yeah. like you cannot, you can't make a hybrid without Congo because you need the Colton to for the um, the battery, um, the ion. So the, the even though they they've used propaganda as well to like to make non-black to make black people feel dumb and i mean to to put this image like we're dumb we're worthless people and they're superior when it's like i'm smart enough to know i look at a person as an as an individual right if you're a good person you're a good person you can't group a a bunch of people together yeah you know what i mean but it's just like that's where that's where it comes from hundreds and hundreds of years i know i yeah i I wish i had it more like more structured but you know even the look how the constitution and the bill of rights was written it was written with the idea that Black people aren't people, they'll never get rights. So now when black people are fighting for rights, it's like, well, the roots of it is that you're not a person. So you're, you, you haven't even fought the real issue of like, you have to amend the, the, the rewrite the constitution, literally the base and say, they are mm. people, they deserve rights. Yeah, and I think it's so interesting you talking about this too, in the sense I think about it and I think back on my education and some of the things that I've been reading recently and I'm just like, I never even knew this existed. Like I had a friend of mine mention last week or the week before she said something about Black Wall Street. Oh, um, yeah. I had no idea what she was talking about. And then I had another friend post something on Instagram and I'm like, what is this? So Bye. I Googled it and I read this and I'm just like, what? I didn't even Bye. know this happened. And it's like, it's things like that that aren't even uh-huh. a part of the history that we're taught. So we yeah. don't even know. We don't even know these things that happen. And it's, it's <laughs> and you know, like, it sucks because you have Black Wall Street, you have Enville in Florida, you have Central Avenue in LA, because you had to deal with segregation. So black people were like, hey, we're going to, I want to live. We got to, let's make stuff for ourselves. So when black people build it up, you know, some racist KKKs or some mm. racist establishment is just like, no, we don't want you to do it. But then you won't allow us to, have opportunity to work in your establishment. So I have the yeah. right to create It's myself. like you can't win. It's like you can't yeah. win. You can't and win. That's awful. Right, you can't win. And, the, and, the, and it's weird because it's just like the root of this dominance comes from, a lot of it, in my opinion, comes from like ego, 
right? It's like, mm. I want to be the best. But if you're really the best, you're not worried about what another person's doing. Especially when yeah. another person doesn't even want and he has any conflict with you. Like, even yeah. with all the trauma, I talk to, like, friend, my family in, in Congo, my, friend, my American friends here, like, all this stuff that's happening, just like, what are people really fight, fighting for? It's like, access to power, equal opportunity, housing, like, normal human stuff that, like... They just want normal opportunities that the rest of us have. I was talking to another friend about this. I'm like, Black people just want to live as people, like like you and me. That's that's all they want to do. Just they just want they just Delicious. want the same chance at a normal life. Like Lizzie, think about this. The look at all the culmination of this. We have the pandemic, forty two million unemployed. People can't get healthcare because health because no because nobody wants to address healthcare. Right? Student debt. How many people are in like seventy eighty thousand dollars in debt? They go to college for these degrees. To get these jobs, they don't work for these jobs. How many times you go to a restaurant and then like the manager or the waiter of the restaurant is like, nah, I have a master's in marketing. I'm like, why are you a waiter? <laughs> what are you doing right? here, man? Yeah. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, I have two masters. I have to work part-time because I don't have a grant. I was working under a grant, but there wasn't enough money, so I'm just part-time. So you have all of this happening to a generation of kids where they're like, well, George Floyd is got killed because he's black, but we're all fucked up. Like, think about it. Like, when you go to these marches, they're like, yo, this is not, this ain't the 60s march where there's like a couple of white people. This is like a gang of different people. Yeah. Right? Because everybody's looking around like, wow, we're getting all dicked by this 1%, you know, where we're not. Because think about it. What are people, like you said, what are we asking for? It's like, can I just get affordable housing? Can I like yeah. go to buy an okay car, buy groceries? And if I get sick, can that be taken care of? Think about what we're asking for. Everybody I talk to, nobody's really asking for, man, I'm trying to buy a Bentley. I'm trying to get an eight-bedroom house. People right. just like, man, if I can just, man, can my Sally Mae loans, like, not be, the interest be this high? Like, it's just kind of yeah. like, you yeah. know what I mean? Yep. So. Yep. Oh, that's so real. Yeah. That's so real. Yeah. <laughs> just, but I want to be normal, be a human. I want that for you, too, Blake. Oh, I really, uh, really do. Blake, this has been awesome. Do you have anything else on your mind that you would like to share? Anything you want to leave my listeners with? We're in an interesting time because this is the generation that is po first generation post-colonization, right? African, first generation post-cracked Reagan era. And for non-Blacks, this is the generation that had to deal with debt, college debt. And I think what has happened is because of this great instrument of the phone, this computer where we all are connected, one click away, we're all noticing. Because I talk to a lot of people that are, I'm 35, I talk to a lot of people from the age of 25 to 40, where they're just like, I don't know, if I miss two days of work, I don't know how I'm going to survive. Mm. And that was never like that the generation before us. So you have all this culmination where it's like, I think there's a systematic desire for change. Yeah. Like the city, like we're just like, okay, this doesn't work. People are stressed out. Jails are overpopulated. Like this pandemic, it's not an accident. We've been terrible to the earth for 500 years. The earth said, all right, relax. I need to heal myself. Like how clear is Santa Monica Beach like during the pandemic? Remember how like the sun, oh the my sky gosh. was so clear? It's been like, so clear. Yeah. It's like incredible. In Northridge, wolves and, and deer have been coming down. They're like, oh, wow. Like, you know, I can, you know what I mean? Like, we don't respect nature. We don't respect people. So this is the time where people want to get back to that. Because the rest of the world is like that. Like, my family that is, like, Europe and in Africa, like, they're not as stressed out as this. And I'm like, what's happening? Why are we mm. so stressed out? What are we chasing? Money for what? To impress somebody we don't know? 
Preach. I'm just like, I think, um, I think there's a systematic desire for change. And, and I think this generation there, we're much smarter because even for them to go riot in Hollywood, 25 years ago, they rioted in the hood with people that don't have money. They did it to people that are enabled to get resources that are sort of kind of a part of the problem. Yeah. You know what I mean? Directly and indirectly. So I don't know. I just think this is the perfect time to make that change. Make that change. Running for office 2020. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. But no, this was great. We, we got this was this awesome. Bileko, thank you for being on the show. No, you're, you're the bomb. And um, let, I mean, I'll text you and, you know, you let me know whatever I can do to help. And Hey, I know. appreciate that, man. Yeah. no. You can help me find an apartment. I have to find a new place to live. So <laughs> let me know if you hear of anything. Oh, I'll, I'll keep my eyes to the streets. <laughs> in the streets but yeah just let me know and you know maintain your faith keep your head up and we'll come yes, out of sir. this strong so we can tell like our that's right our, our generation like no we're in the house for a year absolutely and we're in comedy so we're gonna get to share these stories for years to come man okay this is gonna be, this is gonna be the new trump joke so during quarantine right <laughs> Uh, Bileko, can you tell any listeners that care to follow you on social media? Do you have any plugs? Like, this is your moment. Tell all your stuff. Yes, yes. So you can follow me, Bileko Aziza Wisa Jr. on Instagram. Um, B-I-L-E-K-O-A-Z-I-Z-A-W-I-S-S-A Jr. You can follow my African page. Well, it's comedy, but we do more stuff for, like, the diaspora. Bantu Boys, B-A-N-T-U-B-O-Y-Z. With YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, um, I mean, it's um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, What's the Hook Podcast, same thing, What's the Hook Podcast, um, pretty self-explanatory, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. If you follow me, you'll be able to follow all that. You'll be able to follow my improv group, Black Street Boys, and shows we have upcoming. And uh, yeah, just make sure you guys subscribe and like. So I'm always posting every day. He's so, always posting. I think he's the, the only one <laughs> in my social media feed. Every I know. Day. I just be all over. <laughs> yes, everybody go follow Bileko. If you can't find him off of what he just told you, just come to my page and you'll yeah, probably yeah. find him through me. Yeah, you guys support um, and, share, and share Lizzie's podcast, please. Yes, please. Also, check out What's the Hook podcast. Uh, I have not listened to recent episodes, but I had listened to it in the beginning. I need to be better and get back to it. It's a great podcast, you guys. Well, Belego, again, thank you for being on the show. Everybody else, thank you so much for listening. You if, you, if you don't already, please follow me on social media if you would like. L-I-Z-Z-I-E-B-O-E-C-K on both Instagram and Facebook. And please subscribe to this podcast. Share it yeah. with friends. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, yeah. uh, iHeartRadio. I think, yeah. you know what? Just find it. Just find, Just it. find it. You're all very talented individuals. That's it. We'll see you next week. La 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 la. La 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 la. La 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 la. Do 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 do.